0: And we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg, and I'm very excited about today's program. We have two very interesting interviews. Well, I'm sure of the one because I've already recorded it, and I'm pretty certain that we'll have a really fun conversation with Brian Gill. I'm about to record that interview now, and uh, in which we talk with Brian about the next theatrical production at UW Parkside, namely a play called The Thanksgiving Play, which sounds like an awful lot of fun. In part two of today's program, Out of the Archives, you're going to hear a conversation from two years ago with Lisa Kornetsky, a former colleague of Brian Gill's, talking about Sarah Rule's award-winning play called Eurydice. And uh, we're replaying that conversation because the operatic version of Sarah Rule's award-winning play is... uh, being shown right now at the Metropolitan Opera and you can see it in the next HD simulcast coming up this Saturday so that's why we're replaying that but for part one I'm delighted to welcome back to the program and into our studios Brian Gill assistant professor of performance at the University of Wisconsin Parkside and the director of this uh, production of the Thanksgiving play by Larissa Fasthorse. Brian Gill we welcome you back to the morning show.
1: Thank you Greg it's good to see you.
0: Is this our first time talking in person, face to face, since the start of COVID? Yes, since the before times. Yes, yes indeed. Right. <laughs> since that ancient era, yeah. I knew we've had uh, we've had uh, at least one conversation during COVID, which I'm pretty sure was via Zoom or over the phone. Right. So it's great to be uh, seeing you uh, in 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 person. Um, ahead of us talking about the Thanksgiving play, we don't have a ton of time to talk about this, but uh, maybe you could just talk for a moment about kind of the careful steps by which Parkside along with all kinds of other theatrical companies and theatrical departments is making its way back towards normalcy during this pandemic which of course is still very much with us uh what has that process been like at Parkside and for you personally
1: sure well beginning with uh, Romeo and Juliet last year um of course last year we did nothing but live stream um and we we have since learned that we were the first uh university or college in the state to have successfully pulled off uh, a live stream with romeo and juliet so hmm. we based on the university's decision uh decisions and protocols um we were really strict and continue to be so um there's uh the actors are spaced they literally have a, have their own little chair uh and they're all spaced six feet apart so we're not we're not using the dressing rooms um which would be the, the the norm um what is new this season is when the actors are on stage they are able to take their masks off um the crew are all masked the audience will be all masked um But as the actors, right before they enter, they'll take the masks off, pocket them, do their scenes. When they exit, the masks will come back on. Um, There is hand sanitizer, like you wouldn't believe, backstage. Um, And what's great is, as with last season, the students just wholeheartedly embraced all of the protocols. Um, They are maintaining their own little bubbles. Mm. um, You know, because it's, it's... the work is important to them as well and they they want to be doing this and right now that's you know that's what what we have to do to be able to to continue to tell these stories and to to share them with audiences
0: right that's been my experience at Carthage as well I mean I'm more directly encountering our music students Mm -hmm. and by and large I'm incredibly impressed with how carefully they are uh, adhering to uh, COVID protocols. And, and the results, of course, speak for themselves in terms of, of reasonable uh, COVID rates. And of course, we hope all of this is going to continue to to move in, a, in in the right direction. In the meantime, I'm excited to talk with you about this play called The Thanksgiving Play. And I want to say something about it that I also said to Lisa Konetsky in our interview two years ago. I I told her and I meant it that uh, this is one of the first times I could remember reading a single paragraph summary of a play and getting really excited. Uh, There's just something about the way that summary was written and, of course, the nature of Sarah Rule's play where I just thought, I got to see this. And Mm -hmm. I don't really all that often feel that way. I mean, I might feel that way after learning more about it and having a conversation and so on. But all I needed to read was that single paragraph. And I got to say, I very much feel the same way about the Thanksgiving play. <laughs> I read that summary on the Parkside website and, and got truly excited. And although I know I can't see it this weekend, uh, I hope that following weekend I'm going to be able to get there because I'm just genuinely excited about it. So I'm excited to talk with you about it. When did you first learn about uh the Thanksgiving play uh by Larissa Fasthorse?
1: Um it's it's been a, a real popular play for um at, at least a good year. I it 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 showed up on my radar probably a year year and a half ago. Um Larissa Fasthorse uh has written other works um but this is this is the one that that really hit big. Um uh, and one of the things that interested me about it was how it it became the next big thing mm. she um there's a a great interview that I saw with her where kind of it 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 came out of her frustration of not being able to get her plays produced more than a handful of times because she she kept being told that well we just can't find native American actors uh which is ludicrous uh-huh. um so she set about to write a play about four white people having to put on a culturally sensitive Thanksgiving play uh, for Native American Heritage Month. (laughs) And it's very satirical. And I'm a big fan of satire. Um, You know, and and hilarity ensues, you know, this this idea of uh, she refers to it as performative wokeness (laughs) uh, of, you know, artists that are so aware of all of these issues that we're currently um, trying to deal with. Uh, that they just get themselves wound up, you know, wound around the axle so tightly <laughs> that they can get nothing done, um, and and, and uh, so I, I read it and thought it was really funny, and then um, uh, brought it up for our our play selection, and um, and everyone started to get really excited about it, and we decided it was it was a it was a really a good play to do right now, um, that that tackles a lot of issues, but again in a in a, in a satiric. Uh, a satirical kind of way.
0: Right. So how much of a drastic departure is this from her previous plays? I mean, have her previous plays been satirical and funny and so on, or have they been kind of heavier and more serious?
1: Yeah, this one is, is um, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll, it's, it's lighter overall, um, but that doesn't belie the, 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 the messaging you know it's um, she she really she really nails the satire on this one
0: yeah so i guess one thing that would be different about this play from previous plays is that her her earlier plays at least by and large were intended to be for, performed by her fellow native americans yes and and as you were saying that got her into a situation in which not very many theatrical companies were willing or felt able to mount those,
1: right, um, and the, she even tackles that in the play. There, are, there are a couple of lines that you know. <laughs> one of them says, "You know, do, do you know any Native American actors?" And no, I don't. You know, and they again, they just get themselves so wound up. You know, I, I can't find any. You know, is kind of the reaction, and you know, it's it, it is. It's ludicrous. There are there are plenty of Native American artists and and musicians and rappers and comedians and you know uh, and actors that. Um, yeah, it's it's it, the argument doesn't certainly doesn't sit well with me as a straight white male. So mm-hmm. I, I, I part of my delight with this piece is that Ms. Fast Horse was able to take that nonsensical. I would I would suggest dismissive mm-hmm. argument um, and create something um you know that just keeps getting produced. Mm. <laughs> I think last year it was, if not the most produced play in the country, it was it was top five, I believe. Wow. Yeah, so it's a big hit. Wow.
0: For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Brian Gill, Assistant Professor of Performance at the University of Wisconsin-Parkside and the director of their latest production, which opens this coming weekend and runs the following weekend as well. And it is Larissa Fast Horse's uh, Satirical play, the Thanksgiving play. So uh, you've done this in kind of sketch format, but uh, give us in a little more detail uh, how this play begins and how it ensues from there.
1: Sure. So the the, the director, a young woman uh, by the name of Logan, uh, has been tasked to write, rehearse, and perform a Thanksgiving play. She's the the high school drama teacher. Ah uh she is she she begins the play already in trouble um uh, her last production uh was was not well received by the parents uh so there is a a uh a petition to to have her removed oh dear uh, so the stakes you know as in as with any good play the stakes are, are high going in um uh, her her uh her boyfriend, who refers to himself as a yoga dude, uh, is <laughs> is is there to help, um, and uh, the local elementary school history teacher uh, has also been hired to to help write this play, and they have gotten a grant to bring in uh, a Native American actor to to help them um, create this this uh, this Thanksgiving play for. Um, for Native American Heritage uh, Month,
0: so the play hasn't been written yet. I mean, whatever they're going <laughs> to exactly. present is okay. <laughs> they, so they have to create this from the ground up.
1: Exactly, uh, and and there's a, a wonderful miscommunication that that I, I won't say any more about, but um, that that really launches the play into into the realm of of satirical comedy, um, and you know, through it's it, it's got all the great. One of the things that I love about the play is. It makes fun of uh of of theater in general and actors and i mean it, it she doesn't pull any punches you know so it's it's kind of well through the art of improv we will create a a performative woke <laughs> uh you know uh, super aware um performance of the first thanksgiving uh and of course they immediately run into the fact that that what we perceive to be um thanksgiving is largely based on on a myth uh you know where everybody got along and and uh, and we lived happily ever after so it's it's just pitfall after pitfall
0: right well and it's one thing when it comes from someone who's part of the world of theater to kind of say these things I guess what i'm part of partly what i'm reacting to is I just recorded an interview not long ago with Newt Gingrich and his forty first book uh he takes aim at all kinds of things, and one of them is wokeness. Sure. I mean, he's just ferocious in his sure. criticism of just all of that. And it's and it's one thing when it comes from somebody who is not part of that, who does not see the world that way, and it's another thing when it comes from somebody who, first of all, is part of the world of theater and probably also shares many of those kind of sensitivities that, that we associate with the term wokeness. Uh, so it's, it, it's in a sense, criticism that comes from a very, very different place. Absolutely,
1: yeah. And, you know, I mean, the theater always, the, the job of the theater is to push the envelope and to bring up topics that... Some may view as uh, as difficult, or sometimes even inappropriate. I mean, that's that's what the arts are supposed to do. That's that's why they're considered so dangerous by some people,
0: right? Um, and that's also what feeds what can be an, a real attitude of sort of self-importance. Mm-hmm, absolutely, this kind of grandiose idea of how important this is that we're doing, and not that it isn't important, but sure. it's really interesting how quickly those kind of feelings can sort of. Get out of hand,
1: oh absolutely yeah and 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 all of the stereotypes you know i mean the from from making fun of the warm ups to you know <laughs> to to uh yeah, you know i mean it's 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 a fascinating time right now, and you know, I believe all of these conversations should be going on. I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging the 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 darker side of of our culture of our country of of whatever um by not talking about these things you, you know, I think you you start, there's potential to cause even more problems. Um, And, and this play addresses all sorts of, of issues and topics. Um, But again, through, through the wonderful use of, of satire. And I said from the beginning, um, because one of the things I did early on was I contacted uh, a friend of mine who's a, uh, a language teacher um, out in Nebraska. His name is Redwing Thomas, and he teaches the Dakota language hmm. um, uh, both uh, on the college level and for for his local elementary school. Um, and and gets a fair amount of pushback from his own people. Uh, the, the very, I mean, you know, the language was on its way out, and and it is his life crusade to to keep the language going. And I I really thought it was important to have. Uh, a Native American voice in you know, figuratively in the room obviously, you know, it's over Zoom and, and he and I are, are talking regularly but um, you know I said to him early on I want to make sure the right people are offended with this thing you know what i mean right um and uh which which he got a a bit of a kick uh, a kick out of and he said okay that was i think that was the thing that clinched it because he wasn't sure he you know he he wasn't sure he wanted to get involved in this thing and and he's he's not a theater guy and Hmm. and as soon as i said that he said okay yeah all right i'm in Uh, you know i i I can i can help you with that
0: so he's been a little bit of a guiding hand in in the shaping of this production and
1: Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely you know because Like all of us, we all bring our own life experiences and and life histories to things. And I just I wasn't comfortable um, as, uh, you know, a straight white male. Uh, And and, I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't a play that that is is, um, you know, only a Native American director could direct it. It's it's it just doesn't seem to be written that way. Right. and I'm good with comedy and I'm good with satire. But I just, I thought, mm, I would be more comfortable. Because, again, I didn't want to make a choice that I thought would be funny or cute mm. that a native person would, would watch and go, hmm, right. I don't like that. You right. Know? Right. So it was, it was very helpful to be able to have conversations with Red Wing.
0: And have that perspective exactly. be, be in the mix. Exactly. Let's talk for a moment about just in general satire as a genre. And it's something I think you've already touched on that you have a lot of experience with, and you really love. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure you've presented or directed quite a few of them, and probably acted in some of them as well. What kinds of things do you have as sort of guiding principles in terms of doing satire well, both in terms of kind of shaping a production and in terms of directing your actors?
1: Right. Well, it's you know the, the, what's what's great about satire is you know again it's it's about offending the right people you know if if you're watching something that is satirical and it outrages you uh, you know it mm-hmm. outrages you um odds are <laughs> <laughs> something wrong <laughs> you're the target yeah uh, wow. you know and and uh that's something that i've always appreciated you know um it's it is a it's tricky uh especially it feels like right now because at this moment it feels like there's a real push to pigeonhole things into they are either this or they are that. Yeah. It is either black. It is either white. And I mean, the the world is just far more gray, mm. uh, and and that's okay. It it should be. You know, there should be a, a handful of absolutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that's called your moral code mm-hmm. uh, or compass. But um, you know, so so satire is a great way through comedy to poke fun at that, uh, you know, the the wealthy or those in power or politicians, uh, you know, I mean, Saturn, there's a reason Saturday Night Live has lasted for, what is it, 40 years and counting. Uh, it, it is a type of comedy that we
0: all enjoy.
1: Um, unless it's the fingers being pointed <laughs> at you. Right. And then, then how dare so. you? This right. is, you know, we need to ban this. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. A little less so then. But yeah. And you're right. Satire is so much of what they do and and sometimes do brilliantly well, and uh, and it sounds like this play as well is 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 a really terrific vehicle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how was this received by your 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 cast, young people? I assume students at Parkside. Uh, have they been around enough to have kind of first person appreciation of just how delicious a lot of this satire is? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there were some things
1: that. Uh that I I explained, you know, um, there there are some I don't even want to call them inside jokes, but you know, there I guess they are uh, of of situations that I've been in in my you know my thirty year acting career, professional acting career. Where it's like, oh, you know, like you alluded to, you know, that 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 kind of level of, of self-importance or pretension or, you know, or I'm like, OK, we're going to do this right here. And I'm like, well, why? And I was like, well, because you know, <laughs> I've worked with this person before, you know, yeah, right. or this type of person before. Uh, but, yeah, they um, I, I think they got it. And, and, and what was great was uh, it's a small cast. It's only four. Four of our, our student actors hmm. um, make up the make up the cast, and they all clicked really early. Um, they were all interested in the material, um, and they all play really well with each other and off of each other. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I think they there were some things that we we chatted about and we talked about, um, and I I tried to be very clear on what it was I wanted to accomplish.
0: Is there any temptation when one is doing satire to? Maybe go too big uh, oh absolutely and and, and and do you find yourself reining them in or or to some extent, do you want to go big when you're uh, doing satire? I mean, in other words, do you, do you want to, do you want to be in the realm of kind of exaggerated caricature mm-hmm. or or does that undermine the kind of the heart of satire?
1: Sure, I think it's a combination, you know I mean I, th- I think the satire comes through very much so comes through the writing. Um, but then you have a playwright who who sets up the potential f- to to have these moments of of kind of big, silly comedy. You know, the, the towards the end of the play, it all starts unraveling and, the you know, the, the, a fight breaks out. And so, you know, it was it was fun to be able to stage a fight between. A bunch of people who don't know how to fight, you know? yeah, 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 <laughs> and, and who really yeah, yeah, right. don't want so, to, right. but they're just—they've had it, right, you right, know. Right. Or there's a, a a little play that they, you know, when they're working on a possible play, um, we we went silly and big with kind of a, a, a pantomime kind of, you know, kind of silliness. Mm. So so there were op- there were opportunities to go big.
0: Very good. Is there any moment where this turns at all? Poignant, or is it really pretty, just funny satire, right to when the curtain comes down?
1: No, absolutely. There, there are there are definitely some some poignant moments, which which I really appreciated because, you know, it's it's easy to write, you know, the madcap zany adventures yeah, of these yeah, four yeah. misunderstood artists, you know, um, that that has no statement and really doesn't, you know, it, it makes you laugh and that's great, um, but the way that that. Ms. Fasthorse has has constructed the play. By the time it's done, um, you know, hopefully you have a better understanding of uh, and and you like these people more. Hmm. You know, you 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 find yourself at least I did uh, as as cynical as I am. I I I start rooting for them.
0: Hmm. You know, that sounds like a good place to to end up. Uh, absolutely. Again, this is Larissa Fasthorse's the Thanksgiving Play, and it runs this coming weekend and the following weekend at the University of Wisconsin-Parkside uh, on the main stage. If people want tickets, what do they do?
1: Uh, they go to our website, which you can find at uwp.edu. Uh, there are two live stream dates as well. So mm. so through the website, you can either reserve your um, your ticket, or you can request the live stream. And the live stream dates are December 10th at 10 a.m. and December 12th at 2 p.m.
0: Great. Well, I am excited to see the Thanksgiving play, and I hope a lot of our listeners will seek it out as well. And the director of the production, Brian Gill. Brian, great to reconnect with you. Thank you so much. Good luck to you and your cast.
1: Thank you, Greg. Lovely to see you.
0: You're listening to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. And for part two of today's program, We're going to be listening back to a 2019 interview, which I did with a former colleague of Brian Gill's at Parkside, Lisa Kornetsky. It's a conversation in which we talked about the play with which Lisa Kornetsky ended her long career at Parkside with Sarah Rule's play Eurydice, a refreshing new take on the ancient story of Orpheus in the underworld, but telling that story through the eyes of Eurydice, his wife, whom he attempts to rescue from the underworld. The reason I want to replay a portion of this conversation is because this coming Saturday, December 4th, the next Metropolitan Opera HD simulcast will be shared in movie theaters across the country, including the Renaissance in Racine and Tinseltown in Kenosha. And the opera that you can view this coming Saturday is an operatic treatment of Sarah Rule's play, Eurydice. The composer, Matthew O'Coin, and Sarah Rule herself has adapted her play into an operatic libretto. And again, at 12 noon on Saturday, you can enjoy an operatic treatment of this intriguing play. So here is a portion of my conversation with Lisa Konetsky from 2019, in which the two of us talk about Parkside's production of Sarah Rule's play, Eurydice. And I meant what I said. (laughs) I read the summary of this play, and I'm just blown away by it. And I think maybe one of the reasons why I reacted so strongly is because actually when I saw just the news release that uh, your your play, your last play at Parks, it was going to be Eurydice by Sarah Rule, and it just, it's one of those stories that's been around forever and ever and ever, and I... I couldn't imagine why that would be the choice that, that, that uh, of, of, of your final production at Parkside, or presumably your final production. Who knows? I,
2: I think it is my final oh, okay. production. Oh, yes. <laughs> all, right, all right. Which is bittersweet, I have sure, to say. Sure, of
0: course. But then I read this summary and realized that this ancient story has been given a, a marvelous, refreshing take by Sarah Rule. First of all, say a word about Sarah Rule. Uh, She is quite an extraordinary talent.
2: She is an extraordinary talent. She's um, a young female playwright who's had some real success, which is um, not always easy for playwrights in general, but for women playwrights, I think they have a harder time getting their work published and produced. She's written a number of plays. Uh, I think her plays really speak to... Um, the contemporary world, but always with a very sort of strange offbeat take they're clearly you are clearly able to follow them in terms of plot and story, but they are abstract in presentation and um, uh visually how what she asks for um, so for instance, there is a play about a character who turns into an almond. Um, It's just sort of a wacky story um, that's very funny but also very poignant. Um, She has just a a large body of work for someone as young as she is. I think she's in her 40s. Um, And is done a lot professionally but also a lot in university theater.
0: When I looked at a list of her plays, uh, one of the titles that jumped out at me was How to Transcend a Happy Marriage. That's apparently one of her plays.
2: That is one of her plays. That is one of her plays. And there are all there's always something offbeat about them. There's always something um strangely real and yet kind of from another plane, mm. and, and that is certainly true of Eurydice, which works on multiple planes, both literally and metaphorically,
0: right. I noticed another title was "For Peter Pan on her Seventieth birthday which now,
2: that <laughs> one i don 't know
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> what an intriguing idea, and I also noticed in a in a play that 's titled "The Clean House, Clean house yes. I noticed uh, this is on her website uh, where you can explore some of her plays and. So I guess with each one of them, they list the the, the the names of the various characters. And then it so happens that for the clean house, right after the list of characters, it says in parentheses, everyone in this play should be able to tell a really good joke. <laughs> and... um just reading those words gives you kind of a sense that uh, she's just one of those fresh individuals.
2: Right. Well, well, one of the things I love about Sarah Rule is the things that she writes in her stage directions, which are often things that you you can't possibly do, um, but they're things that give you a sense of the feeling that she's looking for. So she really is writing um, as much about, about tone and atmosphere Um, as she is about the literal things that actors say and do. Um, Mm. So she gives you a good sense of the feeling that she's looking for in her plays. But she also kind of puts it out there so that you can make lots of choices and decisions. Um, Mm. And that's certainly true with this play.
0: Wonderful. So, again, the title of the play is Eurydice. And I think before we talk about the amazingly fresh take that she has on this ancient myth, I think first Just for the sake of maybe a a small handful of listeners who aren't real familiar with this myth, I think most of our listeners probably know the basic story very well as it has come down to us. But just briefly summarize the basic story before we talk about her twist.
2: Sure. So I think most people know this myth as the story of Orpheus. Um, Mm. And Orpheus is usually the central character in this myth. So this is a Greek myth. Orpheus is the son of Apollo, so he's the son of a god. And he is a great musician. He falls in love with Eurydice, and they marry. They have this wonderful, um, glorious love. But Eurydice is pursued by someone who wants her. And as she's running away, she's bitten by a snake, and she dies. She goes to the underworld. And Orpheus, in his despair... Uh, goes to find her. He goes to the underworld. He plays his beautiful music. And Hades uh, is so moved that he agrees to allow Orpheus to take Eurydice back up to what we call the overworld and <laughs> and back to life. But there's one condition. Orpheus cannot turn around and look at Eurydice. And I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anyone what happens next. <laughs> wow. um, and it's it's a... It's a myth that has, uh, I think, really inspired artists. Uh, you, you were talking about opera. There is at least one other um, wonderful play um, called Eurydice by the playwright Jean Ennui. I think it's a, it's a story that's captured the imagination of creative people through the centuries. It um, really
0: is. I should mer- mention parenthetically that the oldest surviving opera – is called Eurydice. Really, or Eurydice, I did yeah, not know by that. Jacopo Peri from the year 1600. Uh, and then, what's really regarded as the first great opera, because uh, those very very first operas weren't so great. <laughs> but then Claudio Monteverdi came along, and in 1607, I believe he composed uh, and his opera is L'Orfeo, but uh that's a, a a treatment of the very very same story and he does all kinds of extraordinarily groundbreaking things in his score so so this uh this has intrigued opera composers from the very very start and
2: Interesting. Yeah
0: and 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 more famous treatments of it came a little bit later but uh
2: well, it's sort of the quintessential sad love story um you know someone who will go to the ends of the earth and and below Um, to recover that lost love um, with a sad ending.
0: Right. So explain to our listeners what Sarah Rule has done with this uh, uh, very, very familiar story.
2: So um, Rule really takes an interesting perspective. Um, She makes Eurydice the heart of the story, although Orpheus is certainly a very important character. Um, And uh, I'm trying to think of the the best way to describe what she does. First of all, she has a character who is called the Nasty, Interesting Man. Hmm. Uh, And he is really the lord of the underworld. So when they're in the underworld, he plays a character known as the Child, who also says that he's the lord of the underworld. But in the beginning of the play, he is this man who tries to seduce Eurydice. And while she is with him, she has the fall that that kills her so he this character is not the sort of typical lord of the underworld he's played as an overgrown